Oh, Holy that was... fuck, that was nice. Just kidding, buddy. Okay. Okay, there it goes. Finally. It took a long time for it to actually show me this uh, feed. Woo! I am high on life right now, boys. And LSD. I wish. Actually, <laughs> probably not. My STRV would probably be talking to me. <laughs> actually, like, that'd be, help me! That'd be interesting uh, recording an episode one one person's drunk, one's on mushrooms, one on one's on LSD, and one's on cocaine. That, let's see what happens, dude. I whenever we eventually like all get together, the whole podcast crew, whether it's at like a convention or just a meetup, and we do an episode together, like we should at least get drunk. Oh, what what we'll do is we'll we'll make it like an extra long like two hour episode or something like that. But we'll just start we'll start sober. And then just see how drunk we can get in like two hours. And by the end of that. Oh, yeah. Or what we could do as well is if we do it, if we record it, but record it as a live stream. So if people are watching, we get, uh, if people send in questions, one question is a shot. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And if, if someone sends money, that's two shots. Yeah. Or yeah, something like that. That would be fun. Oh my god, we would get so fucked up. <laughs> I am so down. I am, yeah, I am down. Yeah, let's that. do that. Yeah, absolutely. I'll have to get more mead then. Mead, Canadian club, whatever the I'll, fuck else you gentlemen want. I'll bring a bottle of uh, New Zealand whiskey. Yes. Yeah, my, my mate who owns the uh, Pocono Distillery, so pretty good drop. Hell yes. Dennis, what are you bringing? Guinness. Definitely Guinness. Guinness, my man. Basic white bitch. Yep. <laughs> Basic Irish uh, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, says Guin- the dude who just bought wheel line Crocs. Hey, those things are fucking comfortable, dude. Do they go with your Uggs? <sighs> I don't have Uggs, but you I have futuristic Stugs. No, Wait, fucker. Uggs? <laughs> no. Oh, my God. I mean, this I mean, is, Garrison. This you is Garrison. my thirteenth reason. Calm, calm, calm. Please make sure you record this. Garrison bought Uggs. <laughs> no, oh, I did been recording for the last five minutes. Oh, perfect. <laughs> Good. Did I mean, you Garrison. Get the, did yes. you get the BBW joke in there? Nah. Oh my God, that was golden. <laughs> well, I'm just, I'm just saying. It, you can understand us, Garrison, calling you a basic white bitch because you do drink pumpkin, pumpkin spice lattes. Um, I do, I do. You do drink American beer. Um, well, how does that make me a basic white bitch? I'm literally compared in America. To the rest, compared to the rest of the world, um, it's Shiner Bach <laughs> in Voodoo Ranger, baby. Mm. Ew. Uh, ew, 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 yeah. ew. Any IPA is just disgusting. You well, not, are, well, I normally of, I normally agree, Floki, but the the foodie rangers uh Well you, usually the, the issue is um like if you go microbrewery when it comes to an IPA, they overhop what an IPA is supposed to be just because they're trying to be, you know, unique or cool and they just make an IPA taste yuck. 
if you do it right, an IPA is quite good. Because you know, you know the reason why IPA was invented, eh? Why is that? Uh, in India or something. Uh, what did you be- say? Why or was- where? Uh, why? Oh. The, the reason IPA was invented was, you know, back when uh, the British first colonized um, India back in 18-something or rather. Um, the, you know, important to British, bringing, uh, bringing ale from England to the troops because, you know, that's the only way to keep you know, soldiers fighting is to keep them hammered. Um, but this, this, this <laughs> is the time. This is the time before refrigeration and stuff like that, right? So what they're finding is they're trying to bring ale uh, to India, and it'll just go off by the time it got there. So what they figured out though is if they overhopped the hell out of it, out of the pale ale, chucked way more hops in it, acted as a preservative, and it lasted long enough to get to India. And that was, and um, so the soldiers over there first didn't like it because it didn't taste like a normal ale. But then they got used to it, and then they started liking it to the point where it's, it was their preferred. So that, so when they uh, went home, that's what they wanted. So they and you know they got breweries to start overhopping, and you know civilians didn't really like it, but the soldiers did, and they bought a lot of it. So then it became trendy, and so they they called it an India Pale Ales because it was originally the one the, the beer that was sent to India. That that's why. Now it's just like trendy for hipsters. You know what that reminds me of, Callum? What? You know those Spitfires that were yep. uh, modified to have the beer uh, kegs on the wings? The most important job of the the war, yes. Those Literally pilots, the most, we salute the you. Single, single most important Spitfire ever made. Oh, like, you better believe that thing's got, like, an escort of 15 other Spitfires, flat protection. <laughs> <laughs> that bastard's getting through the airfield. But- there's like a fucking bomber group going out on like a risky mission. They've got like three aircraft to cover like thirty fucking bombers, and they're like, "Where's the rest of our support?" Oh, they're with the the keg. They're with the bear. Enough. Fair enough. Understand. We'll have a good day. <laughs> right. No longer mad. <laughs> Just like the uh, the Hellcats and Corsairs that had ice cream in the tail. Yes. Wait, what? Mm. Yeah. In the Pacific, that's how they made ice cream. Uh, expand. Yeah. Expand. Well, when you when you make ice when you make ice cream, it needs to be shaken up and then frozen. And they figured, well, if you chuck it into aircraft that were going uh, flying, they'd get they get shaken up, and then they'll fly high enough that the uh, aircraft cools down, and it would actually freeze and create the ice cream. So then, when they land, if they landed after a mission, they they had ice cream for the crew. If they got shot down, then a lot of sailors went without. Bro, imagine like. You knock down like three zeros in like a fucking bunker with your Corsair, and you fly back. You hop out, and you just go straight to the tail with a fucking spoon and just start eating <laughs> ice cream. But the but real yeah, question is, mission. what would you have? What what flavor are we doing? Uh, vanilla, duh, classic. Ew. Ugh, he is no, a basic white bitch. That they had vanilla, chocolate, and strawberry. Okay, take your pick. <laughs> Could you, could you imagine that though? If the Japanese shot down a Hellcat that was loaded up with ice cream, it splatters all across the ground, and they're looking, going, "What the fuck?" <laughs> it's, like, what what is this it? it's like, what's this pink stuff all over the place? And it's not the pilot. <laughs> <laughs> Did y'all know, like the the U.S. had a, a, I think it was two or three naval ships. I could be wrong here, but it was like a couple naval ships that were purely made. 
their whole job was to make ice cream for troops. Yep, yep. The the ice cream um, ships. That was actually That's one thing. Zap- the few Japanese um, that were captured, you know, surrendered. That was one thing they were amazed by is the fact that they had ships dedicated to just ice cream because, of course, they ne- they didn't have it as well. They didn't have ice cream, so they were probably going should have done this ages ago. Well, there's a quote from one of them that was like, once I saw the American or seeing the American war machine was like intimidating enough. But once you saw their supply line with an ice cream ship, it was like, yeah, we're not winning this war. Yeah. The, the minute they have <laughs> an ice cream, the minute they have a ship just for ice cream with the battle group, you're like, yeah, we're not winning. <laughs> and I guarantee like, you that ship's uh, submarine. That's group was probably like two dozen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, protect the cream at all costs. <laughs> <laughs> you mean a Japanese um, submarine sinks in and say, like, do we have an oil slick? No, we have a chocolate slick. <laughs> <laughs> uh, should we start the podcast? Nah. Oh, oh, fuck. I mean, we've been learning so much already. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm just, wait- I'm just waiting on Dennis to do the intro because I've been doing this for the last few times and it's his turn. It's about Magic. time he okay, got well. back. It's about time, I suppose. So, well, welcome everybody to this week's episode of Mike Machines Podcast. And this week we will be discussing the Grumman X29. But first, shall we do some introductions? Righto. So, you got me, Callum, from New Zealand, drinking a nice hot coffee, which means I'm not going to go to sleep for a while. And then you got me, Garrison, out here in Kansas, also drinking a coffee with uh, it's a dark brew. Okay, with a little bit of milk and some maple syrup. Okay, it's amazing. It's great. Building on my STRB diorama. Suck it, Callum. Go get them, guys. I was waiting for you to say, I've also got a little bit of whipped cream on top. Mm-mm. No, I hate whipped cream. <laughs> and it's like boots. Beth doesn't. We're not going to go there. <laughs> we'll keep it somewhat PG-13. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> yeah. and you got uh, me, Clint, in Indiana, and I have a nice cold Pepsi. The Pepsi and... guy. Ooh. Why don't you gentlemen have yourselves a Pepsi? <laughs> Give us money, Pepsi. Can we make Clint's name in the server, uh, Pepsi guy? Oh yeah. yeah. We need sure. to get Why Dennis not? to do that because he's an admin now, now, so only Dennis can. You do guys it. are all admin. Yeah, but we yeah, can't we, change we can't. each other's nicknames. What? Yeah, yeah. Came and need, okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. You need to change. You need to change that. Yeah, I, 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 do get, enough, uh, I, I do enough IT I, work as it is. I'm not doing it on the server. <laughs> could I get a menace to the homeless, please? <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I tried to change it to that the other day, and it was like you're not able to get fucking Discord Nitro. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> I've got the medium nitro. I was like, nah, no, I'm not paying to fucking change my name. <laughs> I live it every day, being the menace to the homeless. <laughs> it's a lifestyle. It is. Do you like to get the hose out and spray them down and wait for the uh, ice crystals to form? <laughs> Dude, the other day, I, I rode out to a new area, which is like southwest of town, and it's like kind of an industrial big box store area next to an airport. And I was like, okay, there won't be any homeless out here. Roll out there. My truck drivers are still in the yard. I'm like, okay, I got to fill up water. So I roll up to a fire hydrant and uh, looking around. Okay, no one here. Great. This is awesome. 
I hook everything up, and it takes about 10 minutes for the machine to fill up with water. And that's not including hookup and takedown time. So you're looking at about 15, 20 minutes. <laughs> and uh, right as I turn the water on and it starts filling up the machine, I see something in my peripheral. And it's like 33 degrees outside. And I look over and there's this fucking homeless dude, like half like bent over, looking at me, kind of his head cocked and like walking really weird. And I was <laughs> like, oh, God damn it. I just started filling up water. I'm stuck. <laughs> so... And he's got this backpack on, like, uh, he had one of those, like, ski masks on, but it wasn't all the way down. It was, like, rolled up. And this guy walks up. He's like, hey, man, is that a, is that a street sweeper? I was like, oh, my God. He's like, yeah. And then he started asking all these questions. And he's like, you got any cigarettes, bro? Because I was smoking one. And he, I was like, uh, yeah, no, I don't. Sorry. He's like, oh, you got any money? I was like, no. Like, <laughs> 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 I lifted up my hoodie and I was like, no, I don't. And he's like, oh, bro, it isn't like that, man. I'm just, I'm out here homeless, bro. You ever gone dumpster diving? I'm like, no, leave me alone. <laughs> like, fuck. I didn't know they came that far south. <laughs> it's really like that episode of South Park. It's like they're like fucking zombies running around going, change. Dude, <laughs> one of my truck drivers literally calls him walkers from The Walking Dead. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, oh, here come the walkers. Hurry up. <laughs> <laughs> they recently shut down like this roach motel in town. Like the uh, city like, finally condemned the place. And it has like, uh, I don't know, 45, 50 people that was living in it. And now it's like the newspaper's like, oh, it's like now they're going to be homeless. And it's like, dude, it's like this place is like fucking disgusting. It's like they're better off in a homeless shelter now. Yeah, no kidding. Dog. All right. Well, on on that note about homeless shelters, you got me, Dennis, in Ontario, sipping on a pineapple bubbly. I think that's the longest intro we've ever had. Yeah. Sorry, Dennis. <laughs> kind of forgot you didn't do your intro, buddy. Yeah, it's okay. I've been on for a while. <laughs> uh, who's this guy? <laughs> yeah. Who's who's this guy? <laughs> All right. Cool. Okay. So. We are all What's gathered here today. So, well, yeah, I guess it is backwards. Yes, yeah, so I always thought it was forwards. I mean, someone was described an aircraft and got it wrong. Yeah, this is what happens when you use ChatGPT to uh, make your airplane. <laughs> <laughs> Reading the instructions okay. backwards. So, we are gathered here today oh, God. to... Uh, Discuss the Grumman X-29, which is arguably the most 1980s aircraft ever. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. Most 1980s. There was a, cause it, there, wasn't that like a fad of like doing the reverse um, like Delta wing and stuff like that? Or whatever you call Well, you know what? Let, let's segue into that in the next slide because... Yeah, so, should I go f- to the next slide I, then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. These are all just going to kind of blend together. Um... So the main defining feature of the Grumman X-29 and why it was the way it was is because it was a test platform for two things, basically, well, three technologies. Uh, the forward-swept wings, which are obviously what you see here. You've got your wings that are essentially backwards. Fly-by-wire control systems, which I'll get into in a second, and composite airframe construction. So they're using polymers and things like carbon fiber to build the airframe. Oh. So, Callum... You mentioned that there was 
a fad, a fad. in the 1980s <laughs> about, yeah, about Ford's open wings. This is essentially the only aircraft that actually came out of that. There is a German business jet, the Hansa jet, which had slightly forward swept wings, but they were still pretty much straight. I know the Germans in the Second World War developed an aircraft with the forward swept wings, but it never got anywhere. This is basically the only aircraft that actually has ever successfully flown with it. What about the in like a high performance capacity and the the Burkut? Yeah, Yeah, the Burkut was the the Russians had one. So let me rephrase. Up until now, in the 1980s, this is the only aircraft which is successfully used. When was the Burkut? A Burkut was. It was 90s, I think. They still yeah. have it, I think. I was going to say because it feels it feels like something that I've just seen a lot, a lot of my entire life, but but at the same yeah. time, not a lot of. It's like, yeah, the burkut is cool. I mean, One it does look like cool. weird phenomenons. That's like you 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 recognized it, but it never happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They only built like five of them. Yeah. Oh no, shit. Like the like the SU fifty seven. Yeah. What's that called? The Mandela effect. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, it's our music. <laughs> so, what is the X-29? Well, this was an aircraft of which two were built. They were built by Grumman for NASA and the United States Air Force. And I think DARPA was involved, or whatever the... I think it was ARPA at the time was involved with this as well. This was developed in the 1980s, and it was an experimental aircraft that, as I said before, tested three technologies. Mainly, it was designed to test forward-swept wings, and the whole point of the forward-swept wing idea was, could you develop an aircraft which was very unstable, which means that it doesn't want to stay in one place in the air, it's very difficult to control, but could you use computers with that, that controlled the control surfaces of an aircraft to make it insanely agile? So, the F-16 Fighting Falcon is built. It shows how amazingly agile an aircraft can be. This is basically the subsequent follow-up to this. So NASA commissioned a study where you would have a forward-swept wing, which would be incredibly unstable, at, especially at high speeds. But the idea was you could use a computer which was constantly feeding back to the control surfaces without pilot input to keep it at stable in flight. So this is what the plane was testing. As you can see, it's kind of an amalgam of the F-5 and some weird carbon fiber parts. It's got three control surfaces on it, and it actually, interestingly enough, has a lot of avionics from the F-16 as well. Well, I mean, that kind of makes sense. Yeah. Because um, the, the, the F-16 is a bloody good jet, so why not use it? So is that on the left? That's the cockpit for the um, 29, yep. is it? Yeah, so that's the cockpit. It's pretty much a... It's an amalgam. It's got a lot of F5 components, and the ejector seat is from the F5. It, you know, visually, the cockpit and the, everything forward of it, you can tell it's clearly grafted off an F5. But I will say in the nose, there's no radar, there are no cannons, it's just computer banks. So, a couple uh, questions. Was So, this was the first aircraft to do fly by wire? This was not the first aircraft to do fly by wire, but it was the first aircraft to use fly by wire computers. In the capacity of dead. So, back in the 1960s, during the Apollo program, NASA began taking, I think it was the F-8 Crusader. Sorry, Corsair, not Crusader. Calm, what was it? The Corsair or the Crusader? It was Crusader. So, Crusader, Crusader too. Yeah, yeah. The, the long one. Yeah. yeah. So, they used the 
they used some basically some computers from the pro- from the Apollo program on the Crusader two, and that was the first quote unquote fly by wire aircraft. This back, all the way in the nineteen eighties used much better electronics. It used analog computers, but it also had some digital components in it as well. The idea was essentially because this airframe is so unstable because the wings have the outer leading edges going into the air before the inner leading edges. So it means that they actually want to bend downwards, that, which I'll get into in the next slide. But the thing basically wants to just nosedive right into the ground. So you have to constantly control the ailerons and the canards to keep it from doing so, to keep it level. So whereas the F-8 Crusader was using it more as almost like a very advanced autopilot, this was using fly-by-wire just to keep itself from ripping itself apart. So the computers, I think, had to make 125 computations a second, which ended up in being like a couple dozen actuations every second. And there were three computers on board this aircraft, which every time they took a decision, they would make a vote of what way to actuate the flying surfaces. And it it would literally compare uh, their measurement data. So if one of them went bad, there were two redundant fail-safes. Oh, nice. So if you fell asleep flying this aircraft just for a second you're fucked no well i i don't know so it's not an autopilot system the way that the computers in this aircraft work is they are making tiny tiny alterations to the control surfaces to keep it from destroying itself and crashing but it won't actually fly the plane that's the thing it's on autopilot system so basically what all these computers did was they made it so you could control it like you would something like an f-16 it was apparently an incredibly demanding aircraft to fly. Okay. Yeah. What? Forgive my ignorance. What exactly is a fly-by-wire system? Okay, that's a good question. So, in the case of the X-29, you have your control surfaces, right? Okay. So, you actually, you know what? Calum, can you uh, give me a John Madden mode? Can you get the highlighter out, please? Uh, yep. One moment, okay. please. How do you do that? Uh, you should uh, go to the bottom of the screen and it should come up with a little option menu. Oops. Ooh, composites. That's okay. So, Garrison, you see the uh, nose, right? You see the big old probe on it? Yes. See. So, the idea is this aircraft is covered in sensors, like in the wing roots, in the nose. Uh, literally, the whole thing is covered in these sensors to gather data. Um, and the idea is essentially you've got a huge amount of data which is coming from the aircraft uh, and it's being fed into these digital and analog computers, most of which are stored in the nose and behind the cockpit. So the idea is you have computers which are using real-time software, which means that they're they're not compiling data and then doing choosing what to do. They've got basically these commands which will automatically execute if certain data is fed to the computers. And basically what happens is the aircraft will fly through the air. It's going to get a ton of data fed to the sensors, and the computers automatically, much faster than a human could, are going to make tiny adjustments to the control surfaces to keep to basically counteract all the forces trying to break the aircraft apart and make it crash. So it's okay. essentially, if you, if you looked at the control surfaces while it's flying, they're oscillating about a dozen times a second, and they're moving to different positions just to keep the pilot in control of the overall movement of the aircraft. Okay, I think I get it. Yeah. Yeah. Most fighter jets these days are fly-by-wire. In fact, I can't think of any that are not. They almost have to be anymore. 
yeah, so I don't, I don't think you'll be yeah. able to use a hydraulic system on a jet no. nowadays. Or, well, yeah. especially now that you've got stealth aircraft, those are very, very poor from a flying standpoint. They're not really aerodynamic in a lot of ways, and they don't just flow through the air well. So you have to have fly-by-wire systems just to keep them, again, in a state where they're controllable. Because one of the problems with this was that, and the fly-by-wire system could be disabled on this, if you disable it, you immediately go into a roll or a spin. Okay. Yeah. Now, what was the advantage of moving the horizontal tail to the midsection of the aircraft? Oh, uh, with the canards? Yeah, that the the horizontal tail planes. They took them off the tail, and then they moved them to the yeah. Section. Well, they so, these put some highlighting or pointing at. Yeah. So what I understand with the X twenty nine, I've only read a bit about it. I've, I've got a book on it, and that's where most of my information is coming from. So one of the problems with a forward swept wing is that you can you can see it right. Like the the outer edges are going to go through air before the inner edges are right. Mm-hmm. So. What happens is this basically makes the wing want to bend downwards. It will actually twist. It's aer- it's called aeroelastic twisting. You've, you may have come across it, Floki, since you work on some aircraft components. But basically the problem is this is a good thing and a bad thing. It's a good thing because it means that you can actually use canards, again, placed in front of the inner leading edge of the, uh, the wing, to direct airflow. So it's actually really, really good at high angles of attack. And there's a photo I'll have on another slide of this thing going towards doing a 45-degree angle angle of oh. attack. Having the canards there means you can direct airflow over the inner wing, which is really good for controlling it at high angles of attack. Uh, you wouldn't have that if the tailplanes were at the back. So you get two things. You, the aircraft is really agile because of the instability generated by having the leading edges of the wings at kind of the outside going through the air first, but by having the twisting force and having the actual uh, what would it be, I guess a dihedral of the inner wings being different than the outer wings, that means you can use canards to direct airflow over them in a different way which when you combine it with a fly-by-wire system makes it really, really stable at low speeds and high angles of attack. I see, so it's slicing through the air before the main ring yeah, you yeah, know what? Okay. I I actually heard this analogy about it. so you know like the fins on the bow on an arrow that you fire from a bow and arrow, right? Mm-hmm. Like you've got the fins and they're they're peeling back like a normal wing does, right? Yeah. Okay, so imagine how they fly through the air. Now imagine if you shot the other way, where the fins are pointing outwards towards the direction that it's moving in. You can imagine it's going to be a lot less stable. Uh, if you do, if you did it that way, but that can actually be harnessed if you use fly-by-wire for the advantage. You can make an extremely agile aircraft by doing that. Okay, because it, it's kind of like, um, say, you know, when like airflow is going this way, right? Yeah. Usually, usually, say if this was the other way around, say the aircraft's pointed that way, then the yeah. uh, that's going that way. So usually the wind is sort of doing that along, right? Yes, along the wind. Whereas this one's trying to do that. Yes, exactly. And one of the cool things is, because when the aircraft flies like this, the wing wants to twist. So on one hand, that means you can't build it out of normal materials. It'll just rip itself apart. But if you have the right materials, you can have it where the wing, actually the angle of attack on it curves. So the wing is literally bending as it's flying, which means you can have an aircraft that's really agile 
even at high speeds, but it's also really, really stable if you're flying at lower speeds. Huh. Yeah. That's interesting. Very. I will say so, this this particular aircraft right here, the livery looks awesome. Oh, dude. <laughs> NASA knows what they're doing with these. Yeah. Yeah, it's like just, just it's like if whenever there's an we make an aircraft, just give one to NASA and go right, make it look cool. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's honestly one of the most ama- interesting looking aircraft in my opinion, and you can get kits for them cheap too. Well, that's because they'll be old 1980s kits, won't they? <sighs> yeah, but you know what? So we'll just like mine, <laughs> they are really nice kits. You you wouldn't know they're 1980s kits. So, there were three technologies, as I mentioned before, being tested on the X-29. The third technology, which we haven't discussed yet, was the use of composites in its construction. So, to build a forward-swept wing aircraft, as I mentioned before, you have this problem of aeroelasticity. The wings, because they're going through the air in this weird way, want to twist themselves apart. So, you have an issue where... To make the wings structurally sound enough that they can resist that twisting force and actually fly through the air at high speeds, you need to develop a material which is incredibly resistant to this twisting force. But it also needs to be lightweight, right? So you can't just use normal metal uh, construction for the airframe. In this case, what was used was composites. In this case, it was actually carbon fiber. Uh, The advantage of using carbon fiber, and you can see it here, it's the black stuff on the wings. The advantage of using that is basically, of course, carbon fiber is incredibly lightweight, which is really good, but it also really wants to resist twisting force. And actually, now one of the things I see at work a lot is carbon fiber being used on cars. When you want a really stiff car uh, chassis, carbon fiber is amazing because it's insanely strong, but it's also very lightweight. And that's why it was used on the X-29. But one of the main things the X-29 was also proving was you could use composites using different types of resin impregnation to basically make an aircraft that's not going to fall apart. And nowadays, actually, one of the main gifts the X-29 has given the world of aviation is the fact that a lot lot of aircraft are made using composites because it was proven on this one that it was possible to make such a sturdy airframe with it. Are composites also like a bit lighter than um, standard, or is it about the same weight? Way lighter. Way lighter. And one of the things is, uh, so with carbon fiber, for instance, because it's a very common type of composite that's used, or some kind of fibrous material that is impregnated with resin, you can use different resins. And different resins, because those are what actually provide the structural strength, right? Different resins have different structural properties. Some are going to be you know, more resistant to twisting forces, some are not. But you can also use ones if you can find ones where you can use very little resin and that's one of the main reasons why it's so light huh so yeah, what you're saying is we can print one <laughs> i wish now the 3d printing is a whole different deal. <laughs> <laughs> although boeing uses uh 3d comp- printed components of some of their aircraft and i mean look where they are now falling apart I mean, fuck they're, yeah. they're making yeah. 3d printed houses dude i mean it's it's like the next big thing yeah, but I've seen I've I've seen those um 3D printed houses. It takes so long to 3D print. It's faster just to put the framing up. 
Oh, it takes like three days to get the whole thing done. I know when it comes oh, to dude. engine components, um, Pratt Whitney, they spent a whole bunch of money uh, testing like 3D printed like uh, blades and veins. And eventually it came down to you cannot get the grain structure like you can out of a forging. Uh, so, I mean, for engine rise, 3D printing, they, you know, just, it's not going to happen. It's not quite accurate enough i mean on yeah with blades you want those to be like absolutely perfect don't you otherwise if there's like just the teeniest little fault in it it just fucks it up doesn't it oh yeah if there's too much hydrogen in it if it's if the if it wasn't forged at the correct temperature it's uh a grain structure can be different and not you know past lab and that could effectively you know plane could fall out of the sky because of that blade hey, disintegrate uh... in midair and Whole plane falls out of the sky. Hey, Clint, your uh, your clones are fighting in the background, buddy. Yeah, my phone went off. I'll put it. <laughs> well, I, 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 I love with, your text tone. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I've worked a lot with three D printers, like selling them, and then now also I've actually been able to see a lot of industrial three, like really, you know, forty thousand dollars three D printers that I work, and it always makes me laugh when people say yeah we're going to 3d print things like car engines because it shows that you don't understand how ridiculously complicated these things are and the kinds okay. of forces that they have to undergo like you can't 3d print materials that are able to survive this stuff yeah. it's i mean one of the things is even with uh you know in our, in our modeling scene you know people are saying oh well one day model companies like Tamiya are going to 3d print these whole kits i'm like well it's going to take dozens of hours to do that whereas with injection molding you can get the same level of quality or just about the same it takes you know 10 seconds and there's also less the right there's also less risk with an injection molding of like if one fails you can go you can look at the tool and go okay we need to just like shave this bit off or something like that clamp it down and you're good to go again whereas 3d prints you could have like a run of just failures and you can't sell them at all like at, le yep. at least with like injection molding if there's a little bit of flash okay you can get away with it it's like okay you can still sell it yeah it's 3d printing is it's really good for certain things but i think the problem is when people say oh we're going to use it for everything like uh with for sake with those houses like we have invented bricks thousands of years ago and those work just fine <laughs> <laughs> if it's not broke don't fix it exactly. yeah. yeah exactly yeah I will. I will say this picture on the left, as a diorama, that would look fucking insane. Oh, that looks sci-fi shit. I know. Even even, <laughs> the, even the like the yellowish greenish like looking on the panels just looks awesome. Oh, yellow primer is the best color that's ever been put on an aircraft, and you can yeah, fight me like, on that. Like this just looks so awesome as a photo. Like yeah, and yeah, also like, just from like the that's... top down, from the top down, this thing looks like something out of Star Wars or Star star trek or something like that eh? oh yeah Dude, for real it kind of looks like a klingon fighter in a way yeah yeah exactly uh Calum, could you go to the next slide please next slide Ooh. so yeah Ooh. Back this shot. Is, uh... <laughs> <laughs> so uh i have I a few questions about this but i'll let oh yeah oh we're gonna we're gonna talk about this photo so as I said before, this was a technology demonstrator. 
right? Uh, I know a lot of people made like what if models of this carrying like AIM nines and all that, but it was never meant to be a production aircraft. It was never meant to be like a military aircraft. It was purely there just to test out whether these technologies would work. So two of them were built. They were both used by this kind of conglomerate group of NASA, the U.S. Air Force, and DARPA. Uh, they were flown out in the Mojave Desert all the time, I think, and. Basically, they these were used for, I think it was a couple of years actually, where they were just being flown around to gather data on how aircraft or forward swept wings would perform uh, under certain flight conditions. They did go supersonic, which is absolutely insane. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, now, this is actually a really interesting photo because this is from when they were being used to research high angle of attack flights. So, the maximum angle of attack that the second that which I believe yeah this is the second aircraft so this went up to a 30 degree angle of attack flight and it maintains a completely stable flight at that angle of attack what you can actually see here on this aircraft is you see all those little black stripes on it oh I know what those are yep mm -hmm. um, can't remember the name but I know what they're used for uh, what are the what are they called <laughs> Beats me. I don't know what they're called either. Um, I just know that we, they're the little things. Yeah, we. Uh, yeah. You have them on sails on uh, when you're sailing on your boat on a yacht. Um, yeah. You, wow. God damn, that's going to annoy the hell out of me. Easy line. Good. Yeah, they're, they're pieces of easy yeah. line which show you what direction the air is flowing. Yeah, that's really freaking yeah. cool. Yeah, because we because uh, you have that on a sail, you know. So like, I'm just going to do a drawing here. Yeah. So say oh, that's beautiful, Callum. You have them going. <laughs> you have oh, them going like that. that, so you can. So you can actually Take see, like, if you're getting um, wind over sails properly, or if there's like a, a dead zone or something like that. I can't. Uh, woolies. That's what. Yeah. That's what we woolies, call them. Woolies. Yes. Woolies. woolies. Yeah. At, at my university, Excuse we have a big me? wind tunnel that are used by. Uh, car companies to test out aerodynamics on their cars and what you'll see is the car will come in covered in woolies and you'll have high speed video taken of the car in the wind tunnel and then they analyze afterwards the direction of the woolies to confirm uh, computer data. Yeah. You, like you if you see what? Woolies. woolies. Woolly? Like wool? Like the yes. Yeah, because they were originally yes, made, they're, out they're made out of wool. Yeah. 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 Okay. I thought you know what your woolies. Oaks are lined with. <laughs> oh, you're so funny, but you're so funny. Hey, I didn't know Uggs were um, aerodynamic. <laughs> yeah, you see me flying everywhere, bro. <laughs> I, do, I do like this bit on the wing. You know, you can see them going in different directions. You can see that the, the air over there is just absolutely, like, not not going well. No, that's the thing with the, uh, this aircraft. The wing, the air, you know, with most aircraft, you have a straight wing. The airflow is pretty predictable. Not with this one. <laughs> You've got all kinds of crazy stuff going on. Like even so, even around here, the airflow is like not doing what it's normally supposed oh, yeah. to. Uh, like, also, like that's that's just got none. <laughs> so, yep. Calm, if you could uh, point towards that weird-looking contraption on the tail, I was going to ask about this. You know what that is? That is an autom a computer-controlled automatic spin recovery parachute, because when these were doing their high angle of attack tests. One of the things I was really worried about was if a fly-by-wire system failed, this thing was just going to... You would need to parachute it. It was just going to be unrecoverable. You're, you're ejecting at that point. You are ejecting, yes. 
the idea being that maybe you could at least give the pilot an opportunity to eject with the parachute out. Terrain, 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 terrain. <laughs> <laughs> Pull up. Pull up. <laughs> so, in this photo, the aircraft is about to do a 30-degree angle of attack flight. It's going to fly st like stably and cruise at 30 degrees of angle of attack. In this same flight, it went up to 67 degrees. Like, Ew. momentarily. Bloody and, uh, Technically speaking, this is one of the really interesting things I heard. They never did attempt to this because it was supposedly too dangerous, but theoretically, this aircraft could fly stably at 90 degrees angle of attack. Huh. What? Like a like continuous Pugachev's Cobra. Jesus. Yeah, that's one of the great things about the canards. So, so are these like additional horizontal planes right here? Yeah, those are the third control surface of the fly-by-wire system uh, controls. Uh, okay, so I got yeah. one. Um, yeah, go, go, Clint. Oh, it's gonna just ask what's with the smoke coming off the nose. I was about to ask that. That's also uh, he's for smoking a cigarette. Yeah, exactly. He's vaping. <laughs> <laughs> that was also the show. The air, the airflow, basically around the nose at really high angles of attack. I think what the idea with these tests was to see with the design of the aircraft, what angle of attack could be cruised at and what the airflow around the aircraft was like at the time. So they put smoke emitters on various parts of it. In this photo, the one on the nose is in operation. Dude, just imagine your entire job is to fly around this fucking dope-ass jet and just test it. Just doing all these crazy maneuvers and shit. Oh, love dude, that. here's a good story. So, uh, one of the test pilots for this aircraft got sacked after he did a literal Top Gun high-speed pass over the, the air field. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, he, he uh, put the beans on, and I think he went supersonic over the airbase. <laughs> and oh, and you they know what sacked it was? him for that? Well, no, it was because he did a roll. He did a barrel roll on it. Oh, that's brave. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, so uh, this was used up until 1984, did a huge amount of testing. Uh, did basically a lot of the work for the F-22 in the YF-23 was actually from this program because this was going on right before the ATF program, which the F-22 eventually came from. That program was actually temporarily put on hold to allow the X-29 to do more test testing because a huge amount of technology from this aircraft wound its way up into the YF-23 and F-22. And that's one of the reasons why they are, the especially the F-22, is as agile as it is because it's using a lot of that whole inst you know, intentional instability in the airframe design that's controlled by the fly-by-wire system. That balloon had no chance. No chance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so after that, uh, it was basically then retired, and now they both are at, the one's at Edwards Air Force Base, and then one's at the National Museum of the U.S. Air Force. And they are fortunately both very well preserved. That's good. Yes, I knew I had seen this before. Oh, have you been to one of them? Oh yeah, I, once a year I try to make it over to the National Museum, United States Air Force in Dayton, Ohio. Oh, you lucky bastard! It's about a uh, hour and a half drive. That's not too bad. No, no. Here in the states, that's like going to the grocery store. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Alrighty, so 
what everyone wants to hear about. Models, there's one. The Haskell 172 Scale X29 is old, but it is the definitive kit for this. There's no cockpit detail. You have to add it all yourself. I added every single strap to the seatbelts, uh, which was fun. Uh, but it has recess panel lines, which most Tasagawa kits can't attest to. And it's actually, it has damn near perfect fit. You don't need to use putty anywhere on this. And yeah. Damn, it, damn. It's got like. That's surprising. It's got like 50 parts. It's insanely easy to build. You can get them for as cheap as 10 bucks these days. Huh. I think Callan's about to go to fucking the internet. Oh, yeah. Uh, I haven't seen anything like that, but I'll keep an eye out. So, theoretically, considering that the inside is like part F5, part mm-hmm. F16, you can literally just rip, you can just use aftermarket for either of those and sort of oh, make yeah. it fit. If you can find an F5 and 172, you could take the cockpit components, put those on the cockpit. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, I guess you could also take the engine. That would also be something you could use. F-16 parts, most of them were aviotics, so you wouldn't be able to really see those unless you wanted to open up the nose. And there is actually a 1-248 scale resin conversion for an F-5 kit to give it uh, these components. Oh, cool. And then Dragon's just got a 1-144, which, who would want that? Yeah. And I also threw in this uh, picture of the Arrow Guide book by Bill Gunston on the X-29. It you can get it. I think you can probably find a PDF of it. If you ever want to build one of these, this is the definitive reference uh, guide for it because it's got all the photos of it during development. It has a huge amount of technical information about it, and it has incredibly good 1-72 to scale drawings of the aircraft. Oh, nice. That's cool. Very nice. It was almost like they were thinking about modelers. <laughs> oh, dude. <laughs> and some of the photos in this are like peak 1980s. Especially the one on the cover. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. How, how many aviator glasses are there? <laughs> <laughs> okay. And that was the X-29. That was very cool. Very that nice. Was, that was very nice. If yes. I ever find one, I'm definitely going to make try and make that um, yellow primer look. Because that was cool. Oh, yeah. And the nice thing is, you can get these very easily because Hasegawa still makes them. Huh. Yeah, and you can you can get them cheap too. Like I got mine for seven bucks. You can get them kind of anywhere from between ten to twenty bucks. If I ever see one, I'm definitely gonna get one. Oh yeah. And do a what if belt too. I love seeing all the things that people strap onto them. <laughs> <laughs> Although looking at the size of it, you wouldn't it wouldn't theoretically hold much, would it? You you get one aim nine and you will you will do with it what you must. <laughs> It'll hold enough, brother. You are the weapon. <laughs> yeah. Or you could be like the uh, Japanese with the F2 and just slap JDAMs onto it. I thought he was going to say kamikaze it. Yeah, I mean, you, know, you either carry the bomb or you are the bomb. <laughs> <laughs> or both, two for one. Let's not forget. Hey, three targets in a row. <laughs> All right. Well, that was Dennis's little presentation on the X-29. Glad to have him back, by the way. And we're just going to have a brief intermission before carrying. And we are back, but uh, this week's a little bit different. We have no hobby news. Seems like no one wants to turn anything out this week. Bastards. 
So we're just going to skip past that. somebody did. Well, a lot of companies did. Seems like no one wanted to release anything decent. A lot of uh, a whole lot of new decal releases or new parts, but no new tooling. So who cares? We just like the new stuff. Anyway, so instead we're just going to skip over all of that. We're just going to go straight into works in progress for this week. And seeing how Dennis hasn't been around for a long time, he's got a lot of explaining to do. Yeah. Okay. So talk, Canadian boy. <laughs> well, I guess the first thing I should talk about is my 1 to 72 scale Academy EA-18G Growler that I made. This was going back before Christmas. Uh, these are some photos of it here. I used some aftermarket parts from Eddard and uh, Def Model for the pilots to recreate a Growler from the Australian Air Force in its special 100 years boomerang uh, paint scheme. I... Uh, Went a bit off script with it. I loaded it up with weathering and with harms. These didn't carry harms in this camouflage scheme, but I thought, ah, why not, eh? <laughs> Getting domed on by a comically well-made aircraft. Looking, look at that. It's so beautiful. It is. It, uh, it does is. look cool. Yeah, yeah. It, it is pretty sweet. <laughs> uh, next kit I built was the Tamiya 1-72 scale P-51, which I used uh, aftermarket markings on to recreate one of the Canadian Air Force aircraft from RCAF Uplands, which was a testing establishment founded after the war. And then what, the third, what did you use for the uh, chrome on that? AK Super Chrome, man. I swear by it. It is the best chrome I can get. That shit's so shiny. Oh, it it, it dulls over time, like as it dries. But when it goes on initially, it's a perfect mirror. You're like staring back at yourself. Literally, yeah. <laughs> like, who is that guy? But I take it it's a little bit fragile. Uh, I've used. I mean, I used uh, to me a Mark Fit super strong on this, and I was careful with it. But I mean, as you can see, it didn't really melt it. But yeah, you, you can, also you can't really clear coat it without making it lose its shine. So, Which is like, just defeats the purpose of it. Yeah. So the main thing is fingerprints. You want to let it dry fully before you handle it. Give it a couple, of days. a couple of days. Yeah. Yeah. And then I'll the uh, third, <laughs> third kit I built uh, in over the winter was this 1-72 to scale Vespid Hobby uh, Leopard 2A7V. Yes! Which is sort of the... Uh, it's kind of like the, the Abramized version of the Leopard. It's got the protective remote weapon station. Uh, with this one, I did a NATO flage with whitewash, and I also used copper strips to make the scrim camo. Turned out really I good. I love it. That love looks it, so it, good. Yeah. Uh, center photo was me. I went with another guy on our server, uh, Sohabe, out to the Canadian Air Force Museum out at 8 Wing. Uh, CFB in Trenton. Uh, just to, this is at the air park. This is actually a, an Electra, which the RCF used uh, actually right in my hometown. And then, of course, there's the great Prius disaster of 2024. So we have <laughs> somehow managed to snag a 2024 Corolla hatch right off the boat from Japan. So I'm pretty happy about that. That's the one to one scale modeling that I'm doing right now. Well, there you go, eh? Did you get the rims changed out yet? Oh, yeah. I uh, just changed the oil this morning. Nice. Very cool. And I've been working on the 222, uh, mainly the base. I 
designed and 3D printed these uh, wheel lifting uh, fixtures. Uh, only need four, but always feels like always put more in the build plate that you're going to need because something always breaks. <laughs> <laughs> Better safe than sorry. Exactly. So, um, well, I think I had two that I ended up breaking. So, good thing I made a lot more than two. Um, the bottom left is the sandstone dock. I got it painted. It's not weathered. And then on the right bottom is uh, uh, the side of the ship. It's all been riveted and now painted up with the, uh, thanks to Christian on the Discord for finding me some references for Italian merchant shipping. <laughs> Very nice. It looks really cool. It does. Thank you. I this hope it turns out. Really, it's going to be a really dope diorama once you're done. Uh, next slide. And then the 222. It's been, oh. been painted. Uh, I've got decals on it uh, today and I've got it flat coated now. Just got to start weathering after we get done here. And of course, the picture at the top that's. Uh, uh, with the side of the ship and the dock in place on its base. Very nice. That's cool. Are you gonna put? Are you gonna put something in between the uh, dock and the ship, or is it like? Uh, there is uh, about a five millimeter gap between the two. Um, oh, see, there's no real point. No, nah, nah. I'm not sure. Like scale rise, I said. I'm just going on a whole bunch of reference photos, and I might sling a tire or something down there. <laughs> Oh, that would be cool. Oh, yeah, yeah. And gonna have some, uh, uh, you know, boxes that's been unloaded. It's got tarps hanging on them, uh, on setting on the dock. Dude, and my yes. idea is to have the 222 suspended in air like it's being lowered down from a crane. Dude, yes. That's gonna look cool. I'm still not sure I'm gonna pull that off. I'm thinking like some clear sprue attached to the. Two, two, two on the side, and then the other side attached to the ship. Uh, I mean, you could probably get something above it and suspend it if you're feeling, you know, brave. Like, you know, if you have something like there and there, and then just have it dangling, using like something sturdy enough. Yeah, it'd be a God, bitch to I, be a bitch to transport, but. Yeah, that's that's the main thing. It's like I don't want it to move any. <laughs> what do you mean? It'll just be like in real life. Now <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that looks cool. I take it make doing those rivets, trying to keep them in line, was a little bit of a pain in the balls. Uh, yeah, I end up making a jig, and oh, I would uh, drill like the the first two out, and then I would stick uh, my jig down, and then stick. Uh, some rivets <laughs> in, in the first two holes, and then I have uh, some more holes to drill out. Then I move the whole jig down. And... Oh, yeah. You you stuck your your what and where? <laughs> 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 nah, man, that's really cool, dude. Um, you, this is gonna be great. You thinking about bringing it to the uh, October show, or if I get it done, yeah. <laughs> get it done, bro. You're like most of the way there. I know. I, I, I'll I'll bring it. Fuck yeah. Uh, only if you uh, tell me how many rivets are there, though. Go ahead and start counting them. Oh, God. Yeah, come on, <laughs> dude. Get to counting. <laughs> Rivet counter. 
Oh god. Oh god, I've been trapped. <laughs> you become the very thing you swore to destroy. I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> you were my brother. Uh, this is what I'm still working on. My um, Tamiya USS Hornet for the Doolittle Raid. I've managed to fully paint and decal one B25. I've just got 15 to go. Oh, God. Those decals are not very good as well. Like, the the register's not that good um, on the... Like, the you know when you got the little sort of clear outer rim on all decals? See? It's off-center from that. Uh, yeah, that so it's was. like... Yeah, so it's... It, the the ones on the um these ones on the fuselage they were the pain in the ass because I think they're slightly oversized possibly because I think these ones are supposed to be smaller than the wing ones but on like the ones you're given they're the exact same size so yeah but I do have uh, the first um light light sea gray down. But I've got to buy a darker, more navy bluish sort of um, grey for the, you know, making the stripes and stuff like that. I've also got to figure out a decent colour because um, the deck, so the flight deck of uh, the USS Hornet, because uh, Americans use wood, but it wasn't, they didn't leave it wood. They, uh, everyone uh, paints it black. But it's not actually black. It's a very, very dark navy blue. They uh, blue stained the blue stained it, mm-hmm. uh, which someone messaged me on Instagram to tell me all about once I posted a work in progress. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. actually, this is inaccurate. Yeah, I was like, but I mean, he was nice enough about it. I said, yeah, it's just a work in progress. He said, yeah, yeah, just what I'm, that's why I'm telling you now. It's like, cool, <laughs> okay. But he did have wrongs on the aircraft. Yeah, pardon. I said your olive drab is wrong. (laughs) I've I've color matched that to three different photos. It's fine because what Tamiya, um, their color call out is wrong. They go for like they they show it as like a dark. They call it dark khaki green. So what everyone puts on is like a dark green, which is what they weren't. Those B twenty fives weren't that. They were more of a beige khaki so but it, so everyone paints them dark green and it's like no they're, they're not dark green they'll yeah this more sort of brownish khaki olive drab you we'll, tell them Callum we'll probably have yeah. some, someone having an issue with that but who cares yeah get them <laughs> <laughs> Garrison uh, well before I start, Callum, good yep. on you, and uh, bless you for doing a tiny-ass ship and all those aircraft. <laughs> uh, I hate myself. <laughs> so we can tell. <laughs> um, so I'm working on my uh, What If Cold War STR V diorama, and today I got it completely built, uh, or base built, and it's, I got it in subsections, then I primed it gray, painted... Uh, I think it was deep green and then added a bit of yellow and white and did some post shading. Uh, now 
most I was gonna do the SCRV splinter camo, but since this thing is gonna be whitewashed to hell with a bunch of like dead tree limbs and a pallet or two on it, I decided I'm not gonna do the splinter camo because doing all that work with as much surface uh. detail as there is, it's just it wouldn't be worth it because you wouldn't see it. So But we would just, know it's there. We would, but it would make me really sad to not see it. So I'll do another STRV eventually down the road and make it like a, a summer themed one with the splinter camo. But for now, you know, cause it's not inaccurate for it to be green. Uh, it's just a splinter camo looks better. So, but once I get uh, all the hand painting done, decals on, I'll do a matte coat and then, uh, you know, typical fucking hairspray. Spray some white and then go out, go to town with a brush and then pin washing and weathering and call it good. But yeah, this was I love the STRV. It's honestly one of my favorite tanks. Very. How it are looks, you liking that it looks new really airbrush? good. Thank you. What was that? I said, how are you liking that new airbrush? <laughs> oh, it's fucking amazing. My hand is not cramped once, and it's you can control it so easily. It's it's great. I love it. Which airbrush is that one? Uh, it's the one with the stress of the G. It's a, the pistol grip. Oh, they like Larry. Yeah. Good, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm seeing thing. a lot of people on Instagram using those nowadays. Like they seem like a lot amazing. of people got sent them to test as well. Yeah. Uh, well, definitely worth the money. I got mine for like sixty bucks, and it's honestly everyone says like, oh, it's so hard to clean. It's really not. I find it easier to clean than my old airbrush, actually. Which is a big relief because I was kind of nervous about that. Huh. I might actually have to spend more than twenty bucks on an airbrush then. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, there you I go, didn't laddie. get one of the I didn't get one of the pistol uh, grip ones like uh, Garrison's got, but I got the one of the Ace ones. I can't remember the exact name, and it is just as nice as my a water eclipse. Yeah, because I heard a lot of people like not saying a lot of good things about them, but I don't know. Maybe they're just like haters. Could be. Yeah, probably. That or they're just not used to it, you know? Oh, look, it's Barbie's house. Ah, ha, ha, so funny. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so this is the diorama like, It on. looks like Candyland. <laughs> it actually does, yeah, the, the pink and fucking teal. <laughs> Um, so why did they uh, dig a trench into some sort of brony habitat here? Oh my god, brony habitat. Okay, <laughs> <sighs> this guy, this guy's got jokes, fellas. Okay, uh, <laughs> this is going to be the diorama. It's going to be a the STRV rolling down a road in a town in Sweden. It's on the east coast, starts with a G. It's a col- it's a coastal town with a nice port. So I forgot the name of it, but. It's uh, some kind of bar with a uh, room on top and then a building next to it in an alleyway. Basically, it's going to be shelled to hell. Russian conscripts on the inside of the bar with a dug-in trench uh, ambushing the STRV. Going to be a planter box there on the sidewalk with a tree. And uh, the picture on the middle right that has a second story that has the windows and cut out. I just threw that up before the whips. Uh, this is kind of the basic layout of it. Um, I'll be doing some more detailing around the windows and and uh, all sorts of fun stuff. But that's yeah, it's where we're at right now. Very excited. Looking good. Nice. Looking good. Mm. 
Also, real quick, uh, shout out to Clint for the inspiration for the front of that bar, the uh, the balsa wood. I really wanted to make it unique, and I was like, you know what? Clint did this for us, Normandy build. So I used yours for a lot of inspiration, buddy. I appreciate it. Oh, cool. Thank you. All right. Uh, so we still have the North Africa group build going on for another about a week and a half or so. Or two weeks. So if you got anything to submit or finish up, <coughs> Clint, go ahead and finish it. Submit it. <laughs> uh, we got one great prize coming in towards the end. And uh, got a lot of great submissions so far. So looking forward to seeing what you guys got. And can't wait to judge. All right. It's that time of the season. We have two new group builds to announce. The first one here is going to be the Micro Machines Podcast Presents Pacific Theater Group Build. Starting March 1st, 2024 to September 1st, 2024. So you got a six-month period to build up anything that pertains to the Pacific Theater from the entirety of World War II. Which uh, can include, you know, like the, the Japanese fighting the Chinese and all that stuff. Um, so, you know, there's there, the Pacific is a, is a theater not nearly as covered as it should be, in our opinions. And so we're really excited to uh, get this going, see what you guys can build. The The prize, there will be, just like the other submission or the other group builds, there will be a recreational submission where you can submit anything you've ever built. Or if you just want to build something for fun, you can submit it there. And then we'll have the competition submission, which will have the exact same rules uh, you know, pertaining to timeline and all that stuff. And one prize, which will be the same prize as the one we're doing now. So. Uh, if you want to find out more information about it, join our Discord. We have a whole uh, category for it. And uh, yeah, hope to see you there. And what is that price? Uh, $60 worth, not including shipping, unless shipping's over 30 because it can be weird. But $60, or is it 60 or 40 can't remember. I can't yeah, I can't remember. It's either it's somewhere in there. It's it's forty to sixty dollars worth of models or diorama accessories or whatever offline of your choosing. So let's say let's say I won the sixty dollar prize, right? And I was like, hey, I want a couple resin palm trees, a couple figures, and uh, to me a leopard, and it totaled up to fifty five dollars, which it wouldn't, but let's just say it does. Then that's completely fine. Uh, if it totaled up to like, you know, like five over or something, we won't be able to do it because uh, we're a young podcast. Uh, but yeah, basically, whatever you want offline up to the prize money, uh, not including shipping unless it's over $30. Which good. is a pretty good prize, to be honest. Yeah, 100%. I mean, and I, I think it's, I mean, you think about it, we've had like, oh, we'll buy you like a, to me, a scout set or, or a Panzer IV or something. It's like, well, in this case, you get to choose what you want, so it's more of like a, a fight for the for the first place, you know? Yeah. Yeah, like if there's a kit that you can't afford, like $60 worth or something like that, but uh, you, win, you win it, then you can get it. So it's mm -hmm. motivation. Oh, 100%. And then the next group build, which this one is purely just for fun. It's the exact same timeline, but it's a science fiction group build. So anything sci-fi related could be Star Wars, 40K, 
you know, Helldiver 2, <laughs> great new game coming out, Warhammer, you know, whatever you want to do, uh, go for it, submit what you want. Um, could be old work, could be new work, whatever. Just uh, submit your stuff. This is purely just for fun. And uh, yeah, looking forward to seeing those too. Hell yeah. And of course, once you've finished listening to us, you should uh, definitely go check out the other um, modeling podcasts. I strongly recommend Modeling Insanity Podcast. I've been chatting with those guys lately, and they are a great bunch of guys, and uh, they're fun to hang out with and take the piss out of. So, especially the one with the Brooklyn accent, um, definitely say hi to me. Say hi to him from me. Um, but we've also got uh, Scale Model Podcast on the bench. Of course, we had Ian Kezius from uh, last week. He was from on the bench. Uh, that was a good episode. AM show, Built Sideways, Just Making Conversations, Sprue Cutters Union, Plastic Model Mojo, Plastic Posse Podcast, Small Subjects, Model Geeks, and of course, Model by Garpoden, if you speak Spanish, uh, Swedish. I'm repping you guys. SGRV, baby. <laughs> and of course, since we come to the ep- end of our episode, it is time to do our special thanks to our Patreon supporters. As usual, Paul Gallagher, Lord Floki, or Clint. Robert Judson and Robert Brisbane. You guys are awesome. You help keep the lights on. And uh, if you want to join our Patreon, just go on to patreon.com forward slash micromachines podcast. You will find us there for about a dollar a month or so. You can, uh, well, you can pledge whatever you want, but minimum is about a dollar. You get a whole bunch of extra stuff that we can't put on YouTube um, certain stories, jokes, outtakes, uh, stuff like that. There's even a secret episode we recorded that uh, didn't make it to YouTube, so there's an extra episode there if you want to listen. Uh, next week, I will have a special announcement, which I, once I uh, get some shit sorted out and find out some more information about it, but I've got a special <gasps> announcement. You're pregnant? The... <laughs> nope, it just, look, <laughs> it just looks like it. Uh... <laughs> but it's to, uh, to do with the 48 and 48 uh, group build challenge so but i'll oh, have yes. more info more information next week about that all right all right does anyone else have any other announcements before dennis closes us off thank you guys for coming wink wink yeah all right well, dennis on that note you have been watching and listening to the micro machines podcast if you've uh, stuck with us for this period thank you so much for tagging along and we will see you next week. Bye, guys. Later. See ya. <laughs>